This is HPR episode 2309 entitled Crowdsourcing Accessibility and is part of the series Accessibility. It is hosted by John Culp and is about 23 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is a show about my efforts to get lots of students to help correct transcriptions of my online lectures. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. This is John Culp in Lafayette, Louisiana. Man, it has been a long time since I have contributed an episode. And um, it's mainly because I've just been really, really busy with my job. Um, I got, uh, I don't know if a promotion is the right word for it, but uh, about a year and a half ago, I was uh, made director of the School of Music and Performing Arts here at UL Lafayette. And that is, it's changed, (laughs) it's changed a lot in my job description, a a lot more time commitments and uh, less time for stuff like this. But summer is upon us, and uh, I'm in the office this morning on a Sunday taking care of a couple of things, and uh, I thought I would um, take advantage of the opportunity to record an episode. This episode is going to be about something that I've just started uh, trying to do with respect to accessibility in my online class. Uh, Before I get going though, I need to start something. What I'm doing, in general terms, the project is to get uh, transcriptions, like text transcriptions of the audio part of all of my lectures. So in my online music appreciation class, I've got 20 video lectures. And in order to have even basic compliance with accessibility standards, there needs to be a text alternative to anything that is uh, audio or, or visual for that matter. So that means uh, alternate text for images if you've got um, uh, online content like web pages and stuff like that with images in it. Or uh, in the case of uh, spoken word, you need a text alternative. This isn't as much of a concern for a music class because I don't, I've been teaching for 20 years now, and I've never had a deaf person in a music class. And normally, the captioning and the transcripts are for deaf people, but um, in a music class, I've never had a deaf person. I've had blind people a number of times, but never a deaf person, because, uh, you know, being able to listen to the music is kind of a, a fundamental part of the class. That doesn't mean that I don't think it's a good idea to have the, the captions uh, or, uh, in this case, transcripts because, uh, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes uh, I, I like to have options in how I consume things, whether it's uh, audio or video or what. And if I've got, if I'm faced with 20 lectures that are on a video format like my, you know, back when I did these, uh, the guy who did the video um, for me, used uh, a pretty locked down video format and so it doesn't have things like 
high-speed viewing like I would like to have now, where I could speed myself up. Um, so I like to have options, and if I had the option of simply reading the text of all of these lectures at my own pace, I would like that. And so uh, I'm doing this in part for myself and in part to uh, come into compliance with accessibility standards. And um, it's a big job to take the audio from 20 lectures, each of which is anywhere from 20 minute, uh, 25 to 40 minutes about, and to transcribe this. Um, I've got a, a transcription tool that I use to do a lot of the heavy lifting. It's part of the Dragon Dictate program for Mac. And uh, what I was about to do a moment ago when I said let me do something first was to start the transcriber on an audio file. Lesson number 19 out of 20. And the way I do that is, this is on a Mac, by the way. I don't know if the Dragon version for Windows has the transcription tool or not, but the one for Mac does. And um, I've got a computer in my office here. That it's actually a, a triple booting iMac. It can boot either the Mac OS or Windows 10 or Ubuntu 16.04. And I, I know the people over in the, the tech department here and they, they trust me enough where they will let me have a certain amount of control over my own computer. And um, so they allow me to triple boot my iMac. Uh, so I'm going to go into the dictate menu, menu under tools and choose transcription. And uh, choose lesson 19 wave file. Double click on that. And in just a moment it will start transcribing. And it does a pretty good job. It knows my voice. I've trained Dictate to understand my speech patterns and my voice, but in a music history lecture, there are going to be a lot of words that are not in its dictionary, and so it's going to mess some stuff up. And apart from that, transcribing a, an audio file that was not originally intended to be listened to by one of these dictation tools means that it will not have capitalization and punctuation and paragraph breaks and stuff like that. All of these things you can do. If I were just dictating into the um, transcription tool, I could tell it when I want a period, a comma, a semicolon, a new paragraph, a new line. All, all of these things are very easy to tell it to do and it does a great job. I can tell it which words to capitalize or make all caps, but if I'm just talking to an audience, I'm not going to be putting in <laughs> audible uh, punctuation like that. And so it gives me this raw transcript. It's already transcribed about two minutes of the lecture. It does it at about four times the actual speed, I think. Um, it's already got probably 400 words transcribed. Uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. I think I, I did a show about this um, a couple years ago where I, where I did some audio where I was actually doing the whole thing as if I was talking to Dragon Dictate. And then in real time, talk to you guys while it was doing the transcription and then posted the transcript as the show notes. Now I'm not going to do that here. That would be um, extremely tedious. But um, So it's, it's off and running now and I'm going to keep talking to you guys while I make a little trip around the music building here. We've had some uh, problem recently with students coming in and propping open doors and leaving stuff very insecure. And Security is something that we want to take seriously. I'm going to check the rear entrance here. This one looks okay. Nobody's coming back here right now just because 
we've got construction going on and the, the construction company has blocked it off. But uh, they ripped up all these um, landscaping bricks and pavers that were back there that had gotten completely messed up every time any heavy equipment came along. They ripped all that up and poured nice fresh concrete that will not get damaged. It doesn't look as pretty initially, but uh, long term it's going to be much better. And I'm just noticing that they've stripped the finish off the tile floor in the hallway too. It looks like the, since classes are out right now, the cleaning crews do their biannual uh, stripping and waxing of the floors to make everything look nice and shiny for when classes start back up. All the desks are piled in the hallway so that they can get to the floor of the classroom. And it looks like this door down here is secure. Walking all the way down by the elevator now. That door is locked, good. Everything should be locked up tight on a Sunday morning. Certain music students actually do have access to the building with their IDs. If they're music majors, they need to be able to get in here and practice their instruments and stuff. So uh, music majors have card access even on weekends and deep into the night. Um, so it shouldn't be very surprising that music students sometimes find the best time to practice is 11 o'clock at night and because there's no one around, no distractions, and they can just work on their music. And so they have ID access for that. The problem is when students who are not supposed to be in here somehow have gotten in and then they want their friends to come in and they'll prop open the door for them. Okay, these doors are also secure. Good, good. Um, I wonder if this one is... Yes, incredible. <laughs> There's this one door where I put a sign on that says, keep this door closed and locked, because I kept finding it unlocked, and it should never be unlocked. And not surprisingly, people just ignore the sign and just keep leaving it unlocked and sometimes propped open. But this morning, it looks like everything's all locked up. I'm very pleased about that. Back before I was the director of the School of Music, this wouldn't have necessarily been my problem. I mean, it's everyone's responsibility to make sure the building is is uh, secure. But now, whenever there's a problem like this, I'm the one they call. And so I've got to kind of deal with it. Anyway, back to the topic of the podcast. So what I'm doing right now while I'm walking around is letting the machine run its raw transcript. And I mentioned that it does not have any punctuation or paragraph breaks or capitalization. And so that's what needs to be done. That's where the uh, many hours of labor are required to get it into a decent shape where it would be readable. And I had an idea not too long ago. I mean, this, this is too much work for me to do. I, I've tried a couple of ways to get this work done in the past by having a graduate student assistant assigned to me for the semester where they have to spend know, a couple of hours a week working on it. Or um, sometimes having student workers from the office who, who are technically reporting to my secretary. Uh, if they're out of stuff to do and sitting there just fiddling around on their phones, I'll have them work on these things a little bit. But... Um, 
I, I can't seem to make a whole lot of headway, and I don't have time to do a lot of it myself. And so, um, I had an idea that was inspired partly by the um, amazing effort that is used to um, correct the text for um, Project Gutenberg books. You guys may or may never have heard of this, but there's an effort called Distributed Proofreaders. Distributed Proofreaders is um, it's a website where users around the world can go and uh, help to do proofreading and correction for texts that have been scanned at high speed in libraries and then dumped somewhere, waiting for a correction so that the corrected ebook can be uploaded to Project Gutenberg for the world to enjoy. Uh, I mean, all, all those books that you get on Gutenberg, well, I get on Gutenberg. I, I don't know how many of you guys uh, go make use of Project Gutenberg, but I use it all the time because I have a fancy for 19th century fiction and uh, stuff that's in the public domain. So I've read tons and tons of stuff off there, but that stuff doesn't get there just by magic. It, it takes the work of a lot of people. And um, what they do is they crowdsource it. And so volunteers will proofread any, I mean, anywhere from like one page to entire books. Uh, you can volunteer to do as much or as little as you have time or inclination to do. And um, in the end, stuff gets proofread and then upload it to Project Gutenberg. And they don't catch everything. I mean, I, I actually will routinely find errors in the books that I'm reading, and I will submit errata reports, and then they go and fix those. But uh, I had the idea, based on that, to try to distribute the work for this correction of these uh, raw transcripts. I've got about seven or eight of them left to do. I, I finished 11 where I, I, I think I use markdown format, and uh, I put paragraph breaks, capitalization, uh, sometimes italics or boldface if there are special terms that I want to call attention to. I will also insert section headings to help um, keep readers on track as to the big topics that they should be thinking about as they read. I find that helpful for myself and definitely for the students. And uh, also, you have to just fix the things that the transcription tool got wrong. It takes a lot of work. And I've, I've finished 11 lessons and uh, about halfway through the 12th. But I, I had the idea to try to crowdsource this effort just the same way that the distributed proofreaders did and uh, have my students do it in my classes and get extra credit for it. The students are always after extra credit. Um, if they get to the end of the semester and realize that their grade is just a little bit below what they want, they'll, they'll come and ask me, is there anything I can do for extra credit? Well, now I have something. They can help me proofread these lectures. And for each one-minute segment of audio that they proofread, they can get one, credit, uh, one extra credit point. Now, to, to manage this, I, I needed a way to make available one minute, you know, distinct one minute sections of audio and that they could easily access, listen to, and then uh, a way also for them to get the corrected text to me. So I, I wrote a script, not surprisingly. <laughs> First of all, I found a cool command called mp3 split. It's actually mp3 splt mp3 split. And what that will do is it'll take an input audio file and split it up into segments of whatever length you tell it to. 
And uh, I'm going to put a couple of commands in the show notes here. Uh, the one that I use is to split it into one-minute length uh, segments. So the command is mp3splt space dash t. The t flag, I guess, is to tell it what time you want it to split at. Space 1.0.0, or 1 period 0 period 0. So that tells it 1 minute, zero seconds, zero milliseconds. At least I think that's what that means. So after you tell it the time unit to use for splitting, you put another space and then you just put the name of the input file. And in like about a tenth of a second, it will have split your audio file into one minute segments. It, it really takes hardly any time at all. It's, it's not even noticeable. Uh, and so then I've got all these audio files for a 30 minute lecture. There will be 30 files. And then I need to post all those 30 files on my web server uh, in such a way where the students can access them. And so I wrote another script that will create an HTML page with 30 little audio players and the file name displayed for each one of those. And so what it does, the, it uses a for loop for i in asterisk dot mp3 do the following things. And it'll get a file name from uh, the input file and uh, create a little HTML audio player for each one of those. And then when it's done, I also have the script push all of the audio files over to my server to put them in place uh, where, you know, as soon as it's done pushing them over there, you can access them from a web page. It also creates an AUG version of all those MP3 files uh, so that uh, whatever browser you're using will be able to play the audio. So that's how I put all of the um, files over on the server and give a web page that lists all the files. And I also put on that same page a link to the raw text that they are supposed to use as their uh, starting point. Now to uh, manage the, um, you know, getting extra credit for it, I set up a discussion forum on our course management system called Moodle, our learning management system. Moodle is an open source uh, learning management system that we've used here for about 10 years, I guess. And so I set up a discussion forum and start a new thread for each lesson that they're working on and ask students to post a, um, a response in the discussion forum with the corrected text. And uh, what that does is it gives me a central place to keep all those and it gives me a little place to give them one point of credit that shows up right there in the gradebook. And um, I had, I think, three students take me up on this. I started it late in the semester, so it, I didn't have a real good chance to, to see how it was going to work. But uh, at least three students took me up on it and got some extra credit. And then um, I also had some students. We've got this class for music majors where every week they have to go to what's called recital seminar. So every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, they've got to go and just sit there and listen to their colleagues perform or listen to a lecture or something like that. And they get zero credit hours for it, but they have to go and they have to get a grade of satisfactory by attending at least 10 of these Wednesday um, recital hours and then also five concerts in the evening or on the weekends. And inevitably, five or six students at the end of the semester failed to show up. I mean, <laughs> I always tell them right at the beginning of this class, seriously, guys, all you have to do is show up for this and you get your credit. And you need eight of these to graduate. 
well, if you get to the semester and you've missed a couple of the attendances, you're going to get an unsatisfactory, and that could keep you from graduating on time. And so um, this semester, I think I had three students who came to me wondering how they could make up their credit, and so I had them help me with these lecture transcriptions. So depending on how many um, recital hours they missed, I would assign them to do um, more or fewer uh, minute-long segments. I had one person, I think I had to do 10 segments of a lecture and another one about five or six. But So I got some more help that way. And this summer I'm going to be offering extra credit to students in my music appreciation class for helping with this as well. And um, they do a pretty good job overall. I have to go through and and check it, but um, most of the stuff they do just fine. And so um, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm hoping to finish this job pretty quickly this summer, or if not this summer, then in the fall when I've got another music history class where students might need some extra credit. And uh, in this way, we'll, we'll get there in the end, and I won't have had to do all of the work myself. Um, they will have helped me, and they'll get extra credit in the process. And I'm also hoping to uh, give a conference presentation at one of the distance learning conferences. Uh, they always want to hear papers about... Um, accessibility issues and how you deal with that. And so um, I've got a proposal in to talk about this project too. And uh, so hopefully that'll get accepted and I'll get to go and give a paper about it. So there I'll add a line to my resume as well. (laughs) Anyway, um, it's done with the next file now and I think I'm pretty much done telling you what I wanted to about it. And so I'm going to sign off. And I really hope that I didn't set the recording level too high. A couple of times I looked and it looked like it was, it might have been peaking, but um, let's hope not. It's about 20 minutes. That's me uh, bloviating long enough. I learned that word recently. Look up bloviate. It's a great word. It means to uh, t- um, talk excessively and boringly about something. <laughs> so I've done a lot of bloviating on HPR, so uh, sorry about that. But uh, hopefully there's some of it you guys enjoy anyway, and I will... Talk to you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.